Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. This morning we're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you, for you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. read a verse of scripture that has been a theme for us throughout this uh, month, and uh, we will step into again uh, Christmas Eve and uh, Christmas Day. But uh, this is from Luke chapter 2, uh, a scene you, you, you will no doubt be familiar with. The angel said to them, the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning uh, humbled by the reminder of your faithfulness, uh, confessing, God, our need uh, for hope and joy and peace and love this morning. Would you meet us as we sit with your word? Uh, Would the words of my mouth be uh, pleasing and um, edifying, God, to us and to you, we ask uh, in your name. Amen. Uh, I said I wouldn't do this, but uh, so, so this verse has been a, a frame for us over the course of some months. Uh, last week I was like, I think I'm done, but I'm not done. We've been reading this book in my home about, uh, anyone want to finish the sentence? Sword-wielding rabbits, yes. Uh, about some sword-wielding rabbits. And I think I'm done, genuinely, maybe, until next week. But uh, there's been this, uh, there was this uh, refrain, this sort of mantra that these characters, so it's been an epic sort of, journey. We've been following a brother and sister rabbit and they've been, you know, fighting and uh, defending, you know, all all sorts of things. Working for amended wood is the expression they use. But there's this mantra that has come up, has been a refrain of like uh, enthusiasm for them where they they would, uh, you know, very dramatically, my place beside you, my blood for yours, till the green ember rises, we're the end of the world, 
right? I know, you guys are like, man, dramatic, right? Rabbits. I know, right? I know. And you forget they're rabbits eventually. But uh, it's this beautiful sort of moment, dramatic, absolutely, but a moment of intensity that uh, we found being repeated in our home with some frequency. Twin daughters who were 10, we would lean into this phrase on uh, any number of occasions in the house. It was very fun. But I did recently discover one of my children uh, just confessed that uh, she was using it at volleyball that uh, they had just moved to like overhand serves. And uh, she's like, yeah, I would just recite this to me, right? In my, in my mind, my place beside you, my blood for yours, till the green ember rises, or the end of the world, right? <laughs> I know, right? Like it seems a little intense for recreational volleyball, but you know, whatever works, right? Whatever works, yikes, I, I don't know. What, what's the point? Why uh, this kind of introduction? Because I, I want to suggest to you that it strikes a note that is at home in, in the chord uh, of Advent. Uh, it, it hits a theme that we don't often talk about at Christmas. It's not one we associate with at Christmas. Christmas is full of candles and warmth and all sorts of things. But this sort of phrase got me thinking about uh, the themes we celebrate during the season of Advent and ultimately Christmas. The end of the world, right? <laughs> that longing in us for things to resolve. Right, the fear that we may carry on how things may or may not wrap up, the, 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 the desire in us for things to be put right, made whole, the struggle in you where maybe you alongside others are working and fighting or are exhausted or are hopeless, whatever the descriptor is for you, but you're in that struggle for longing for things to be resolved, to be put right. These are themes. These are themes absolutely at home in the season of Advent. There are themes actually that show up in our reading this morning, themes of reversal, where those who are lowly and poor and broken would be elevated, where those in power would, would, would be checked. There are themes of waiting, which were in the passage Kristen read for us from Isaiah, waiting, waiting for you, God, for salvation. There are themes that show up in the uh, announcement of the angels to the shepherds, fear, joy, all people, all of these resonant themes from the season of Advent that we find in this reading in Isaiah chapter 25, a reading actually that is traditionally uh, uh, brought up, uh, traditionally a part of Easter services. Many streams of the church in the world, this is a passage that is a regular part of the readings of Easter. And why, you may ask, why here at Christmas? Well, I, I hopefully I've established at least enough of a, a, enough of a cause uh, or reason to uh, defend maybe why we have landed there this morning. But we've been using Isaiah as a way to sort of step into the announcement of good news that the angels brought to those shepherds. News that was anticipated long before that night uh, with the sheep, uh, as we see even in Isaiah, repeatedly announcements of good tidings. And we find, we find that announcement here. I, I, I don't know that it's been explicit, but each day, uh, each time we've used, we sort of leaned into a word from that uh, announcement. Fear, behold, joy. This week it's that phrase for all people, for all the people. I bring you good tidings of great joy for all the people, all the people. That is a refrain that Isaiah 25, uh, all over the, the reading we had this morning from Isaiah 25. That on this mountain, he says in verse 6, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast. Right, right, way back in the story, at a moment of weakness and brokenness in the story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they're in exile. Even in that moment, there's this announcement of good news that whatever God is going to do in and through and for them will have implications far beyond the particulars of their life for all people. 
A, a bit of sort of context here. What, what is happening in this moment? Uh, I, I, I think if we sort of, we're, we're going to sort of live in verses 6, 7, and 8, but we'll refer to sort of the broader context here. But uh, what we hear in this moment, this call for, for all people, is God is announcing uh, through Isaiah to his people in the midst of exile, right, that there is, there is reason for hope. They are not forgotten. So the, the, the stanzas began with the remembrance of God's faithfulness, as we sung about this morning, uh, 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 sitting with that, that God has saved, God is faithful. And, and then this turn in verse 6, this announcement, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast. I mean, it's a party, right? Um, and, and it's huge in, in scope and scale. It's extravagant. Well, what's, what's going on here? Well, on the one hand, right, this is a comfort to the people of Israel, right, that their faith in God would one day be vindicated, all that they've been through, in the ups and downs of their faith, right? That in all of that, that God would one day display his glory. They would be vindicated in this hope that they have carried. On this not-too-significant mountain, by all appearances, perhaps small in scope and compared with the landscape and the nations around, that through this people, God would display his glory. It's particular, specific what God is doing in them. But but he doesn't stop there. He says that through whatever happens in this story, uh, a feast for all peoples will be the result, right? That it wasn't just about sort of vindicating Israel's story and belief and faith in this moment, in Isaiah even. It's, it's also so that the world could know deliverance, right? That the, 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 the sort of effects of this work of God in this particular people would have um, a much broader scope. You see, there's kind of a play happening here between the specific and the particular and then the universal as well. This mountain, yes, but for all people. This mountain, but for all people. And not all peoples in, in this passage even. We, we, we sort of wants to work on a couple of levels. One is the nations, right? And you get the sense in which it's not just Israel, but not just the nations, it's the marginalized as well. Earlier in the reading, right, that the poor, the strong, like there's this play as we see even in the Christmas story, God's returning all those categories upside down and working life for those who have been overlooked or stepped upon or taken advantage of. Verse 4, you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress. There is a sense in which God is like, whatever I'm doing in this specific moment through this people on this mountain will we'll have a scope larger than maybe we typically think for all people. Again, I only bring it up to point out that when we hear the announcement of the angels to the shepherds, bring you good tidings of great joy for all the people. This is not a new theme. This is one that has been running through the story of Scripture. Even Abraham, he's like, I'm going to bless you, make you a great nation so that through you all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then in Isaiah, at a moment when that vision seems to have clearly jumped the shark and, and run so far sideways, it's beyond the scope of possibility, Isaiah announces this promise again. No, God will, God will work through you in a way that will spill over uh, all the people. That is a thread at Christmas that we find beginning much earlier in the story. So uh, as we sit with that truth, that's kind of the, uh, the way into this passage for me. I want to sit with a couple of the particulars from verses 7 and 8, and we'll finish with verse 9. I think one way into it for me was been, you know, just kind of think about, well, what is true for all the people? What is it about all the nations that Isaiah points up? What is true uh, there's a lot going on in the particulars of Isaiah, but he, he makes some sort of broader applications here. We see it in verse 7, the first observation. And he will swallow up on this mountain 
the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Death like, man, Merry Christmas. We're one week from Christmas, right? Like uh, joy or something a little with a little more frivolity, please, Matt. But uh, I just, I want to make an observation here. Uh, death, right? Some of us maybe are closer, not, that sounded wrong, closer to it than others, right? That's not, that's not what I meant, uh, right? Some of us have more experience. Maybe it's touched our lives in ways that, uh, it feels more present for us than for others. I don't know where you are in relation to it, but Isaiah makes an observation here that this shroud of death covers all of human experience. And there seems to be this indication that whatever the joy of God's feast will look like, that cannot be experienced until something is done about this universal experience and shroud and veil of death. One author describes the cold hand of death that blights every human happiness that is at the end of every pathway. Merry Christmas. I could lighten the mood, I'd help us step into this feeling by referring to Frozen. The second movie, the lovable character of Olaf. You guys know, the magical snowman, right? There's the scene at the end, is the post-credits scene, right? Marvel, get out of here, right? Post-credits with Frozen, right? Like, uh, there's the post-credits scene where he retells the story to his abominable snowman and snowji friends. I'm embarrassed that I know that, but I'm pretty sure they're called snowjis. You guys remember the scene, maybe, you know, Frozen is there, and he had done it earlier in the movie, but he's retelling this moment. He's just kind of retelling the story for them, and he's telling the story of Elsa and Anna and all the things. You can watch the movie, but you remember that moment. He's like, Elsa, dead. Olaf, dead. Anna, cries. You guys remember that? Like, nope. You know what I'm talking about? It's dramatic. There's sharp camera cuts. It's, it's direct and to the point, which I think sometimes we have a hard time with when it comes to this particular subject, and yet... This is the experience, the human experience, Isaiah acknowledges, even for the nations. Death, right? He, 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 he acknowledges, Olaf goes on, then a bunch of important things happen that I forgot, right? But that's because this just sort of shades over all of them. It's a veil. It's, 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 that, it's that root of insecurity that finds its way into so much of yours and my human experience that we don't want to talk about it, but it ultimately comes down to this sort of experience of ultimate brokenness where we know as hard as we try to control we will inevitably be unable to shroud interestingly in the context of isaiah right uh, uh, he had been writing to this people who had turned to all sorts of places specifically for security right for preservation for life to the nations in fact Right, and it hadn't worked, and Assyria had come, and Babylon had come, and they had gone to Egypt, and all sorts of sort of places for security. And, and, and interestingly, in this moment, it's almost as if God says to them and to you and me, I will do what the nations never can for you. What for the nations is, in fact, only a tool, death. God says, I will conquer myself, in myself, for my people, and for all people. This is the promise. Right? This, is, this is the promise Isaiah gives to them, that God will swallow up, not just remove or lessen the impact of, but he will swallow up in such a way as to envelop and destroy death. I mean, if there was ever an announcement of good tidings, right? this is it. An announcement that will echo on the hills from the angels to those shepherds. Just the beginning sort of notes in that symphony of life. An echo that will ring a little clearer as Jesus calls the name of Lazarus, his friend lying dead in a cave, and a, a song that will come into clearer focus, clearest focus, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, as he swallows up death. 
Matt, really, enough with the death already. I'm almost done. But here's, here's why I bring it up. Because I think sometimes, man, Christmas, Christmas is like, it's just cozy frequently, right? I forget what the fancy word is people are using in the recent years. Like, hug, What's the, you guys know what I'm talking about? It's like that Swedish thing that means like coziness. I don't know. Probably really disrespectful. I'm sorry. That's not what I intended, right? I think, I think Christmas sort of slips into like sentimentality and warmth. I mean, it is. It's cozy. It's merry and bright. But Isaiah reminds us this is not the good news of Christmas, right? This is not the good news of Christmas. The hope, the good tidings of Christmas is not that God cozies up to us. It's that he conquers death. Right, the good news of Christmas is not that God, and he is with us. He does cozy up to us in our suffering and pain, but this is not the glad tidings. It is that in his love, he conquers death. Not just death. Not just death. Like what else is there? Well, we read it in our passage. If we continue, verse 7, and the Lord God, verse 8, the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. I don't know. What an incredible image. The one who will swallow up death, himself the resurrection and the life, will tenderly wipe the tear-stained faces of you and me like a mother wipes the tears of her children. What? What? Talk about good news. I don't know, this image of God who will swallow up death, so moved by your plight and mine in the world and of his people and of all the peoples that he will wipe every tear. I don't, maybe, do we have any Phoebe Bridgers fans in the house? I'm trying to be culturally relevant here. I don't know. He was like, I don't know who that is. I don't either, but uh, she makes music. So, uh, I mean, I know a little bit, but she has like a sort of blue Christmas uh, song, right? Like a blue holiday Christmas song. And this is the line that I think has some pertinence. Hey, butterfly, there's only so much wine you can drink in one life and it won't save you from the bottom of your glass, right? I don't know, there's a bit of that in the reading here that as hard as we try to sort of fill up the glasses of our lives with all the merry and brightness of Christmas at the end of the day, we're too often confronted with the harsh realities that the world is rife with suffering and tears, if not our own, the lives of our neighbors and friends, if not them, the lives of our community and the people around us. This is the world. And the answer to that, um, God's presence and suffering is no doubt an answer, but I want to suggest to you again, the good tidings of Christmas is not that God cozies up to us, but that in his love he conquers death and tears. And not just tears. You see where I'm going here? Right? Not, and not just tears. There's one more incredibly sort of gospel-filled space in this passage in Isaiah. We, we read it again in verse 8. Not just tears, but also the reproach, the shame of his people. He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Not just death. Tears, but shame. Oh, man. I mean, like... There are positives to the human experience. Don't get me wrong. This is just one moment of communication with you. So I'm focused on one particular aspect that we find in Isaiah. But, but I, I don't know. Like, these are experiences that touch all of us. 
for Israel, this shame ran a couple of directions. On the one hand, there was the shame of all of their brokenness, all of their sin and disobedience that had left them now sort of under the thumb of oppressive political powers and just broken and shattered, right? Because of their disobedience and sinfulness, broken full of shame. But then the flip side of that is also true, this this stubborn people refusing to kind of let go of the story of their God in the midst of all the nations, equally sort of generating shame for them. We see that even in the New Testament, despised for this refusal to kind of let go of this backward sort of thinking. And in this moment, God says, I will remove all of that shame. I will remove it. We know a clear sort of pointer to Easter, right? Death being swallowed up. We know that the way that reproach and shame will be removed is by taking it on himself. That, that he will, yes, cozy up to us, but he will uh, take our place. If I could be so bold as to make another Christmas movie reference, equally as frivolous as Frozen 2, although some of you are like, whoa, 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 don't touch Frozen, Right? Uh, Arthur Christmas, we took the family a couple years ago to see Arthur Christmas, which it's an animated flick about, uh, I don't know, Santa's children, anyway, and elves. Uh, It's better than I'm giving it credit for here, but there's this opening scene in a high-tech Santa Claus world where they're trying to deliver presents to all of the children, and the elves are running through, and they got this, like, temperature gun-looking thing, right? They pointed at the children, are they naughty, are they nice, and that's how they know what kind of presents to leave them, and there's this moment where one particular elf in the opening scene comes across a boy, points this little indicator at him, the boy has been too naughty to deserve of anything and what does the elf do he promptly turns the device on himself registers good and gives gifts to this child I don't know I don't know I read a passage like this in Isaiah I hear an announcement like the angels to the shepherds and I think oh God is this is this what is this what you mean? You will remove our shame. You will point it at yourself and impute your goodness and righteousness and wholeness to me despite my string of brokenness. And it's not a conjecture. Isaiah will take us there. If you sit with the rest of his writing, he will take us there. He'll get to a, 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 a section of passages uh, around about Isaiah 53, and, and there'll be a collection of, of poems, beautiful writings that will describe the suffering servant. Isaiah, a favorite book of so many of the New Testament writers as they draw on how to make sense of Jesus, will draw on this particular portion of Isaiah where it is clear that the way in which this servant will make up for all the mistakes of all of us will be to take them on himself. I don't know. I know Christmas is cozy, merry and bright, and it ought to be all of those things, but the good tidings of Christmas is not that God cozies up to us but that in his love, he conquers death and tears and shame. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, that sounds lovely. (laughs) That's great, but when? (laughs) Where, right? This is a tension the church has lived with for a long time that the season of Advent speaks to. This tension of what the uh, theologians, you know, refer to as like the already and the not yet the bit of life that we have tasted because of what Jesus has done on that hill, uh, swallowing up death. We know it, we know it, but we also know the not yet, that sin and evil and death still impinge upon our lives. And what do we do in that tension? This is what Advent speaks to, waiting, waiting, coming, waiting. Behold, Isaiah finishes in our reading this morning, this is our 
we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We haven't only uh, been reading about uh, sword-wielding rabbits, although it's great fun. We've also picked up a little book that may be familiar to you guys, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. And you guys know the story, right? It's a beautiful story. Uh, no swords or rabbits, unfortunately, but uh, maybe we could blend the two. I don't know. Uh, it's a classic story, right? It's a beautiful little book, short little book. We've been reading with the kids. And it's the story of these five children, the Herdmans, who are notoriously sort of broken people, right? Uh, they're uh, the riffraff of their community, disruptors, all those kinds of things, and uh, yet they find themselves in the leading roles of the Christmas pageant. I'm going to ruin it for you, but it's still worth a read, right? They find themselves in this role, and the narrator is herself a very pious child, well-behaved, you know, much like myself. I don't know, right? She's kind of inhabits. That was a joke. I don't know. Oh, man, I just was like, yeah, nope, that one, that one got away from you, Matt. Um, all I meant to say was, like, she thinks she's righteous, right? That's where she lives in the story. And I don't know. I can confess that to you. I think I'm pretty righteous, too. Not in the, I don't know, anyway. All right. Let's just move on. <laughs> right? So you have the Herdmans, right? You guys know the story. Uh, some of you, perhaps. They have the Herdmans. They're in this role in the Christmas play. The narrator is the kind of the, the reason the climax. Uh, one of them, Imogene, uh, who's been sort of lead notorious Herdman in the story, uh, is herself Mary. Right, and there's much, much consternation over why we would allow these people to fill these roles, all that kind of stuff. But they come to the, they're in the, the moment, the silent night, sort of the climax of the pageant. And the narrator said, uh, you know, she's waiting for the shoe to fall, waiting for things to just go bananas, right? Because that's what happens with the herdmans. She said, when we got to Son of God, loves pure light, I happened to look at Imogene. I almost dropped my hymn book on a baby angel. Everyone had been waiting all this time for the herdmen to do something absolutely unexpected. And sure enough, that's what happened. Imogene Herdman was crying. Because like, man, it's a children's book. Hold it together. I'm trying. In the candlelight, her face was all shiny with tears. And she didn't bother to wipe them away. She just sat there, awful old Imogene, in her crookedy veil, crying, crying, crying. She had caught on to the idea of God, the wonder of Christmas. I love this line. Christmas just, it just came over all at once, like a case of chills and fever. I don't know. I kind of hope that's what happens to you at Park City. Um, maybe given sort of flu season and COVID, a better analogy would have served here. But that's what I hope happens in this community. The Christmas would just come over you all at once, like a case of chills and fever that God looks on you in all of your brokenness and shame tears all of it and remarkably because of his love takes it on himself swallows up death and somehow says of you as he did of Mary favored one that's what Imogene was dealing with and all of her brokenness that she could see herself in this role that God would see her in this way gave her hope purely out of his love for her and the same is true for you. I hope that's what we communicate to you at Park City. That for you, there is hope in your waiting, in your shame, in your tears, 
perhaps even in your familiarity with death, you would hear in the announcement of Jesus' first coming the promise of his second. The good news of Christmas is not just that God cozies up to you, but that in his love, he conquers death, tears, and shame. We you guys stay Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.